Hi everyone, I'm Chris Sarandon, and welcome to Cooking by Heart, where we revisit the vivid memories of the food we grew up with, and the people and the stories attached to that time in our life. I'd, uh, I'd like to welcome those who are listening to the podcast, those who are watching on YouTube, and of course, I gotta welcome this incredible Full House audience at the Sacred Heart University Community Theater in beautiful downtown Fairfield, Connecticut. Okay. Our media sponsor for today's event is WSHU Public Radio, the community source for NPR news and classical music. Check them out at WSHU.org to listen live, read their news stories, and find out which radio frequencies to tune into. My guest today is, as you probably know, Lydia Bastianich. Yeah. Lydia is an Emmy Award-winning public television host and best-selling author of 11 cookbooks and three children's books, as well as having been awarded numerous honors in the culinary world and being a founder and supporter of philanthropies. Yeah. Too numerous to mention. She is the chef and owner, or has owned, four acclaimed New York City restaurants, Felidia, Becco, Esca, and Del Posto. With her daughter, Tanya, she has operated Lydia's Pittsburgh and Lydia's Kansas City. Yeah, I'll get there, don't worry. And has operated Becco, Esca, and Del Posto with her son, Joe Bastianich, and other partners. She opened Italy, the amazing artisanal, yes, an extraordinary place. The amazing artisanal Italian food and wine marketplace in New York City, Chicago, Boston, LA, Las Vegas, Toronto, Sao Paulo, Brazil, with son Joe and others. She is also with her daughter, Tanya, co-founder and president of Tavola Productions. I'm very, very proud to present Lydia Bastianich. Welcome. Hi, Chris. Good to see you. Hi. Thank you. You can see you got a lot of you have a lot of fans out there, Lydia. Thank you, thank you all for coming. That's great. First of all, I, I have to tell you that I am per personally. I grew up in a restaurant, as I I told you when we were sitting backstage, and I'm just in awe of your accomplishments as a chef, as an entrepreneur, and a culinary activist. And we always start the show with um, provenance, where we're from. And I know that for you, this is a very important uh, place in your life. So tell us a little bit about it. First of all, where were you born? I was born, Chris, um, if you look at Italy in the right-hand corner, uh, there's Venice, then there's Trieste, and then there's a little peninsula, and it's called Istria. Istria is now Croatia. But that was Italy, part into Dalmatia. Right. Uh, and after World War II, Italy lost the war. The Paris Treaty came down, and Istria went under uh, Yugoslavia, the newly formed right. communist A communist, Yugoslavia. right, exactly. Right. And, uh, and so that's, I was born right on that cusp. You know, the war ended in 44. By 47, uh, the Paris Treaty in 47, it took about... Three years, the Allied forces and all that guarded that. Right. And ultimately, uh, uh, so I was born immediately under communist rule, and it was uh, and things not easy. And things changed a lot there as you were growing up, right? They did. They did. Uh, I, you know, being a child and all that, maybe I didn't realize as much 
as in retrospect right. when we, but uh, I recall, you know, I recall uh, we were Italians at home quietly. We spoke Italian, but we couldn't speak Italian outside. We couldn't go to church. There were many uh, kind of limitation. You know, the communists imposed, uh, they want their ruling. And, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the life, food wasn't right. all that abundant. And so it was. It was a time. And uh, they also didn't. They also change the name of cities. They changed our everything. names. You know, like if you see in my book, it's Maticchio, my maiden name. Right. Then it became Motica. Bastianici uh-huh. is my ma- married name, but that's to my husband, who's from that area, Bastiani, and right. the Bastianich. So they did change names, and uh, uh, yeah, a lot of things they wanted to make that part of Yugoslavia no longer. Italy. Right. And, but the, and there was also a, a diaspora there from, from it, a lot of Italians left, correct? There was, there was a big exodus between 44 and 47 before the, the, the border. Uh, there was about 350,000 ethnic Italians wow. that went back into Italy and into the world. And why? Wh- there was a delay with your family. What, why? Well, part of it because uh, you know, my mother was expecting me and whatever right. they were. And actually, you know, people waited, waited and said, let's see what happens. Yeah. So let's see. It's not easy to leave one's home and uh, parents, you know, because ultimately when the border were down, went down, part of my family also remained in the Italy. So we had right. cousins on the other side. And so my parents would have had to leave their parents behind uh-huh. to go back yeah. into Italy. And uh, and the business, you know, they were settling. They had a home, and so you think twice about right. leaving all that behind. But ultimately, uh, in 1956, um, my parents, I guess, decided. Ended I was up. about 10 years old. Right. Uh, uh, decided that maybe it was it time, was time time to move on. But I'd I'd like to go back in time just a little bit because you talk a lot in this wonderful book, this extraordinary memoir that she's written, by the way, it's, it's going to be available today, um, about the, the, uh, the people in your life who were so important and who became so important to you as you got older and became more and more interested in food, particularly your grandmother. Yes, Chris. So let me just go back a yeah. little bit to the story. So I was about... Ten, my parents, my parents decided, but we couldn't all leave to go across the border to visit some family. Right. So my mother, my brother, and I were given the visa, and we went to visit. My father was held back as a hostage. So we thought, you know, we're visiting, and it was exciting to go on a trip. Uh, but once we were there, for, uh, in about two weeks later, my father appeared in the middle of the night. He, he ran... Uh, he escaped through the border, and he was uh, chased, dogs, he was shot at, but really? he made it. And so now we were all on the Italian side, uh-huh. and that's what that was their plans, right. plan. So we, as children, we didn't know. So to go back to the, the food, those, those formative years since I was born in 9 and 10, uh, my parents put me and my brother with grandma and grandpa, which was a little town outside of Pola, Pula now, was the big city. And uh, uh, my grandmother, since uh, food was scarce, uh, she provided food for the whole family, not just for us. 
So, you know, we had chickens, we had ducks, we had goats, two goats, we had two pigs every year. I mean, I milked the goat every morning, we made the torta when there was extra. Uh, November, there was the, the slaughter, we made sausages. I remember still as a small girl mixing blood sausages because right. that's the first thing that you make. And the, the, the garden, of course, season, ah. seasonality, having all the different vegetables, whether it's springtime, the peas, the favas. We had the fig trees, we had grape. We even had a, a plot for, of wheat. So, yeah, so they, we made our own flour. She would har harvest the wheat, wheat in June, July, and then the kernels she would keep in the cantina mm. and go to the, to the mill only when she needed the flour. So... Uh, Chris, I was, I was in a setting uh, uh, completely about food, helping to make food. Right. You know, she would send me, go get the rosemary, so big bushes, or go get the bay leaves, go get the potatoes. Or whatever. I remember when I harvested, we'd had, had the potatoes from the ground, you know. She would, because potatoes is, is a bush. Yeah, plant. right. I grow has potatoes. It uh, has yeah. roots, and of course the, the tubers grow right. on, the, on, the, on the roots, and she would sort of plow around, pick up the the thing, and the big potatoes she would pick, and I was in the back with my little basket to pick up all the small ones. But Chris, you know, taking those potatoes, I still remember it, they were still warm. Uh, it's yeah. like, like if they had, they, had, they had life. So being, and then those potatoes, half an hour, an hour thereafter, they were being fried or whatever in the right. olive oil that we made and so on. So uh, those real flavors are embedded in my mind. So I was kind of, I had the library of those flavors with me. Embedded in your brain. You know, as a reference. From the still, time you were how old? Till the, well, I was born until I was 10. Then we yeah. were in Trieste. In Trieste, <coughs> when, when we ultimately uh, declared that we were refugees because our name had changed and all of that, and we, we uh, went, uh, they put us in a camp, yeah. in, a, in a refugee camp. You were camp. in a refugee camp, right. Right, for two years. And we were waiting for, but uh, I had an aunt in Trieste who was a good cook, so I started uh, helping her, and uh, so all those flavors uh, kind of were with me. Uh, I even, uh, I was put in a, in a nun school um, through a kind lady, actually, that sponsored, sponsored me and my brother, and in order to supplement, the nuns put me in the kitchen. I guess I showed... Food was from. <laughs> but at that age, in the right. kitchen, I was peeling potatoes, whatever right. I was doing. So somehow I gravitated always towards food. But you know, Chris, the one thing that I, I specifically, and as I go back into my, you know, you kind of research why. Why do things happen to you? Uh, we were not told we were going to leave. So I, you know, I left my grandmother, my friends, my goat friends, everybody, with that saying goodbye. And I felt like I was pulled out of something and I felt uh, detached and food was my connector. Mm. Cooking the flavors that I remember grandma cooking that with yeah. my mother, with my aunt, brought me back to a special place of with course. grandma, reconnected. And uh, henceforth, food was that my connector. Right, and, and uh, as I recall, you, you mentioned in the book that, that uh, working in the big kitchen, also trained you in another way. Well, you know, and working with the nuns, the nuns, they had the whole, the, was the whole school, so it was, right. a, was a big, uh, uh, big pots. I've never seen such big pots right. and all that. So slowly I was being trained, not knowing that that's where I was going. Right, 
so 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 the restaurant business was sort of lurking in the <laughs> and in then the of course when we came ultimately to America in 1958, we spent two years in the camp. Uh, we were brought here by the Catholic charities. We had nobody here, so we didn't speak the language or whatever. But once we began, they settled us. And uh, I must say, first we were in New Jersey and then to, in Astoria. And the Italian communities, the, the communities in general, uh, were, you know, I, was, they, they accepted us so, so, so willingly. You know, they were bringing in chairs and food and mm -hmm. everything. And uh, that's where I sort of began to work in, in kind of a, in Astoria. Uh, I was 14. Uh, I needed a little pocket money, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, immigrants pay or whatever it was. And so there was a, a bakery right across where I lived. And I was 14, and I remember they didn't hire anybody part-time until you're 16. So I lied. I told them I was 16. I was always a, always a big girl. And... <laughs> And, uh, and they took me, and that was kind of my first official uh, commercial food in the bakery. Ah, this was the Walken Bakery? Walken's Bakery. Because, you know, I worked with Chris Walken. Where did you work Many with years ago, here at the Connecticut Shakespeare Festival. Did you? And I think he lives he somewhere lives in, in Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. He lives yeah, in yeah, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and I worked together many years ago, at yeah, any rate. We're still friends with him. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, uh, just the, the degrees of separation sometimes are uh, astonishing to me. But, but also, it, we're talking about the, the influences that, that you, you accumulated along the way. But your aunt in Trieste was a, a personal chef, right? She was. She was. She would cook for families that, uh, right. you know, paid her for that. But her cooking was very different from the cooking you were used to from. Well, Boussaint you know, she was more elegant. You know, right. Grandma cooked with whatever was seasonal, whatever she, you know, right. she found uh, the eggs we had, the chickens, right. whatever. Foraging but as well, yes. We did a lot of foraging springtime and fall, a big foraging times. You right. know, all the herbs in springtime, wild asparagus, mushrooms. In the fall, again, mushrooms and, yeah. and truffles. In that area, there's oh. a little truffle store. And uh, so she, she would get more into the uh, elegant sauces, uh, roasted pheasants, the game. The, and, you know, she taught me. I would go and chop with that. I remember the, the pheasants hanging, and then we would come home, pluck the, the, uh, the plumage. But I used to do that with grandma with the chickens, so I was right. okay. You were used to them. So right. I was okay with that, plucking those. <laughs> you know. but, she, but she was also, and, and something that interests me, because I grew up in a, a, my father was Greek, my mother was Greek, and, but a lot of the food that Greeks cook are influenced by food from all over that region, because uh, uh, there were armies constantly, you exactly. know, the Venetians were moving exactly. here, the Turks, etc. Et in fact, when I was growing up, my father's, sister would visit us from Greece, and she would always make something called imambeldi. What's that? It, it is a, a, it's a kind of ratatouille. It's a very, very Turkish, it, and the literal translation of it is the imam swooned. Oh. Isn't that great? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right, because that area where we are yeah. is multicultural exactly. anyway. The Austrian-Hungarians ruled there for a while, uh, you know, the Slavic, so the German. So, you know, you, you speak more than one language when you're in a situation like that. Certainly we did, although our heritage was, was Italian. But, uh, she, you know, she cooked under the Austrian-Hungarians for the 
all the, the Austrian royal family. Uh -huh. So that's that's where she and all this this elite cooking. But you know, in my shows, I mean, they see it in my books. I have sa sarme. Sarme is is a Turkish word, mm -hmm. and it is the stuffed cabbage. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, they came up the coast to that influence uh, of of the Arab world. Absolutely, you know. It's we were talking about this backstage, and my wife, who has Russian background, Russian Jewish background, I'm Greek. Everybody makes cabbage rolls. Her family, my family, um, we put avro lemon on it. But uh, in fact, when we go home today, Joanne and I are going to cook Lydia's cabbage rolls. Good. Yeah. Enjoy them. They're good. Thank you. Anyway, so, but, but, but it is, uh, to me, it's very fascinating how all of that uh, cultural um, interchange, uh, be it forcefully or not, you know, sometimes it was because of war and invasion, and other times it was just because of people moving, and here we're, I mean, in a way, we're going to get to that, immigration as well. So, so you're, you're, you spent time, two years in that immigration, in the, uh, in the refugee camp. What was the food like there? Well, the food was, was uh, I mean... They fed us, was filling. Right. Usually it was uh, pasta and tomato sauce, mm -hmm. and we would get a formaggino, you know, a little piece of cheese, mm. uh, uh, and, and uh, an apple, mm. uh, or, or soup. The, this kind of, that could be made in, right. in quantity, and uh, rarely meats and all of that, maybe just as a, a flavoring agent in the sauce for the pasta. And, you know, we had to go online because... Uh, there was the mess, mess hall, and you had your little, we had a little plate. Uh, we we um, we lived in a in a. It was uh, um, like a big room, almost like the, And the room was there were different floors, so single men, single women, and then families. And the families were divided in little cubicles, uh, and we had two um, uh, bunk beds, mm. one for me and my brother, one for my mother, all in the same room. Uh, and uh, uh, the room were divided, some of them with plywood, some of them with old boards, some of them with uh, uh, sheets and whatever. So it was, you know, <laughs> it, yeah, it was... Uh, For it was two, two years. Two years. And, and not only were there immigrants, like the Italians going back to Italy, all of Eastern Europe, you know, communism was really coming, people were escaping, Hungary, Poland, whoever right. could get away. That, that border where Trieste is... It was kind of the East An intersection. Europe meets West yeah. Europe. And, and so all kinds of different nationalities, different languages spoken. Uh, you know, it, it, it was really moving in retrospect when I think. Um, you know, people tell me, ask me, Lydia, do you, do you regret those times? Do you have, you know, are you sad, mad about it? And uh, I think about it, and I'm not. I'm not, uh, you know, I was lucky enough, the outcome has been great, so how, how can I, you know, it got me to a good place. But uh, it's, it, all of these passages of my life has made me who I am, yeah. has given me an, uh, a better, better understanding maybe of people, of human beings, more respect for food, you know, yeah. going online as a little child waiting, will you get food or will you not? Yeah. You know, it it's kind of puts food in a different uh, perspective. Oh. Does it ever? All right. So, so from the from the refugee camp, you are uh, uh, among the lucky few who are uh, allowed to uh, immigrate to America. Uh, I know that at the time there were quotas for various countries. 
and that in northern European countries generally were given more uh, visas to immigrate, southern European less, because I've researched this about my father. Mm -hmm. um, but you folks made it. You got to the United States, Catholic Charities. You were, where, what was the first residence that they put you up in? It was 1958. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower was the president, right. and he opened immigration for uh, refugees, communists, fleeing communism. And we were bought by the Catholic Charities. And I think that the selection of immigrants, because, you know, you kind of look into this, was that they were looking at young families right. that could contribute. You know, there was, my brother was uh, four years older. So the children that could go into the schooling system that can become American. Right. My mother was a teacher. My father was... Uh, uh, a mechanic, he had his own little business that he was incarcerated for that. He had some trucks and yeah. all that. And, and so I think that the, how they were choosing people was specifically, you know, uh, people with, with vocation, I guess, which they needed, right. and the potential of the family to grow into being Americans. Right. And uh, we were brought to by the Catholic Charities. But they put us first in a hotel. Mm -hmm. And it was the Walcott Hotel in Manhattan, 37th Street and 7th Avenue. There was a horn and heart right across, I remember. You're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it was my father's first job when he came to America was in a horn and heart art. You're kidding. Really. Yeah. Wash dishes. There, there you go. For something yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, six months a year until he got enough money to go work for a friend. But we were fascinated. By it. Well, so so the, how did it work? The Catholic Charities, uh, we were in a hotel. We didn't have a kitchen in a hotel. Right. But you would go and visit the social worker, you know, now I know what a social worker is and does, but then this woman who spoke Italian, yeah. and she seemed awfully kind because she gave us direction, and she gave us money to my mother and father, says, now you feed these children. There's a deli, Italian deli around the corner, this hoarding heart out there. And so for, for about uh, six, six weeks, maybe even two months, we did that. Uh, and it was fun because, you know, Two, two young kids in Manhattan. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, first, uh, we could only go around the block with my mother, you know, and, and father. And then, because, uh, I mean, I was 12, my brother was 15, 16. So, but, you know, I remember looking up that my back would, my, would hurt because I was looking <laughs> up at these buildings. Right. And uh, the Empire State Building wasn't too far. Uh, and... Um, then they ultimately found uh, a little home for us in New Jersey, North Bergen. And uh, they moved us in there. And they sort of handed us over to the local community, the Catholic Charities right. and the Italian-American community. And we were really welcomed. I remember, you know, finally having... Uh, it was, was a, a, a small kind of um, a little home perched up on, on the rocks, North Bergen, right across Manhattan. We would see right, I mean, the view. Uh, now, yeah, yeah. I went back to look for it, but You'd now it's big buildings. you a lot yeah. for that view now. Right? It, it certainly would. And uh, right, the, the house was divided in two, and there was a Canadian father with two children right next to us. So that was that felt good. We finally had a home. Right. We finally felt, you know. Dirt floor, right? Yeah, dirt floor. We had dirt floor. The, the bedrooms had... Um, uh, wooden planks, but the kitchen had dirt floor still. Mm. And, uh, you know, it kind of took me way back. Nona's <laughs> Cantina had that. Right. But it was, the, the question was that we had a, our room, uh, we had our kitchen, we can be as a family 
No, you can close the door. Right, and you after, after two years in one room. Yeah, yeah, with everybody else. And uh, the, the, the local community was really generous and welcoming, and uh, everybody, we had the knocks on the door continuously bringing us and closing food oh. and everything. It was wonderful. And what, what was the food like then? Were you, well, you were cooking, obviously. Well, you know, we had... The family was. Well, yeah, but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. We used mm. to go all to the, to the supermarket. The, you know, we were taking, this is it. We used to walk to it. And with the cart, but you, you didn't understand. You know, you saw the vegetables, I know. And as far as the meats, you saw the meats. And um, my mother was very economical because, uh, you know, as chicken wings, chicken necks, soup, and a lot of the vegetables. But I remember with the box things, we had a lot of difficulties. You know, we didn't know about cereal. I know cookies. My, my mother, ultimately, we once bought dog cookies later. <laughs> later, a neighbor came over and, and, you know, my mother offered them and she didn't want them. <laughs> but we she, ate them. She they sent were, them out. They were good. They were okay. They were okay. <laughs> That's great. I mean, the dog looked good. The cookies looked good. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and your mother was cooking during this time? They were working as well, right? Well, they got the job. So my father got a, a mechanic job. He began with that. And uh, my mother, there was, um, uh, because the community itself kind of led us. She, of course, uh, she was a teacher, but she didn't, didn't go. So she worked in, a, even in Picona. We was a factory wear uh, clothes, designers' right. clothes. And, uh, Seam she, seamstresses? Seamstresses, but she wasn't specialized. But, you no. know, uh, as a young Italian girl, you, had, you, need, you, need, you knew how to sew. Right. And so that's, and that's, she worked there. So they did work uh, late, and we would prepare. We went to, to school in walking distance. It was a, a was Sacred Heart School. Oh, yeah? Maybe one of them was here. Oh, yeah. And uh, and that's how, how we began our life, and it was it was it felt good. It felt uh, I felt uh, I wanted to become American as soon as I could. You oh, yeah. know? I wanted to learn the language. I wanted to be like the rest of the kids. You know, yeah. Uh, that's what you want to do, a teenager. Um, we eventually we found a distant cousin that lived in Astoria. Right. And uh, he came to see us. His mother told him that that uh, we were here. He had jumped ship, so he wasn't, but he was legal by then. And, uh, <laughs> and he came and uh, brought us to Astoria, and that's when our life uh, continued in Astoria. Right, right. And, Lots and, of Greeks in Astoria. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the, the second largest Greek population in the world uh, outside of Greece is in oh, Astoria, is Queens. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At any rate, so 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 the uh, and your both your parents were working. They were. So then, what happened with uh, food with dinner? Well, well, we had you know I sort of continued the practice. My mother would plan you know when she was home on Saturdays and Sundays. Right. And this we're going to do Monday, this Tuesday, and she was. Sort she would of, do the meal planning. She was prep, prepping with me. You know, this is it. But she would. The night before, she says, okay, the beans are soaking, this, peel two potatoes, do this at this time. And so I would, coming home from school, I would begin dinner. Right. And then she would finish it when she came. So, uh, you know, I felt comfortable uh, with, with the pots and, and the pans at that point. Right. But then that, that evolved over time, didn't it? Because I get the impression that you took over more of the cooking. 
Well, uh, at home, uh, uh, you know, yeah, I wanted to, to get more into, uh, into the cooking with her. But, uh, you know, uh, then, because I was going to school too, so, uh, and I was a teenager, and, right. I, you know, I mean, I mean, I wanted to go out a little bit too, you know, make <laughs> friends. And I used to work at Walkins, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the weekends. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, so, so you're in school, and uh, the family is settled in this, in this house, um, and uh, your mom is commuting from... Well, she, she was still working in New Jersey. That was the reason right. why. And so she would come home late, right. six, seven o'clock. But then I had to have the, the soup was ready, the minestra was ready, whatever, the sauce. So we had things pretty much going by the time she came. And then we, 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 we ate. Uh, Interesting. I just heard you say minestra. Minestra. Which is soup. Ah, ah, okay. What's your, what's well, because I was thinking, because when I grew up, Orso was called Magnesta with the Greeks. So I thought that's what you were talking about. I was saying, another degree of separation. No, no, no. Okay. So, so you're in the house in Astoria, and, uh, and you are interested in, uh, I, I, I get the sense that you were very interested in how things work. Uh, in science, in, I was. I was interested in and, science. And so, um, did you did you have um, um, uh, ambitions to go to college? I did. I went. To, you know, I got a scholarship to Hunter College. Right. And uh, science, I you know, I wanted science was my my interest. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but uh, you worked along the way, first in the bakery, then in restaurants. So always in into foods. Right. And then I met my husband, who was in the restaurant right. industry. And uh, I got uh, married one year before I finished college. My mother was very mad. Uh. Uh, and uh, uh, then, you know, my husband was in this industry because he worked in the ships and, you know, as a, uh, a waiter or captain. And then right. he had come as an immigrant before we did so he had a position in a good restaurant as a maitre d'. He always wanted to open a restaurant. And that's how we really opened the restaurant. I wasn't a full-fledged chef that said, okay, let's open a restaurant. Yeah, what the heck, right. Yeah, you know, let's, yeah. Let's so say. in 1971, we opened our first little restaurant. And it was like nine tables. We hired a chef. Uh, and he, he managed the restaurant. And I, of course, also got very much involved. I knew the desserts, some of the desserts, some of the food, some right. of the serving. So we hired an Italian-American chef because the cuisine there... Very different, though. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, the cuisine uh, of the immigrants. You know? Right. Explain to the audience, essentially, the yeah, difference I, between I was, when you arrived. Yeah, I what was, I was curious food. about this cuisine. Now, Italy has 20 regions. And even today, if you go to all 20 regions, Italy is small, smaller than California, so the regions are not big. But every region has a unique cuisine, right. a unique dialect, uh, unique folk songs or whatever. But uh, uh, so when, when, when I came here and the Italian-American cuisine, uh, not that we went to the restaurants a lot, but when you went into homes and whatever, it, it was different. There, it had, it, it's based in the Italian culture, you can see, but it was different. So later on, uh, and that was the cuisine that was popular. All the restaurants right. we did the research. Spaghetti and meatballs, uh, yeah, lasagna. Parmigiana, yeah. chicken parmigiana, right. whatever. And, and not all of this you find in Italy. And uh, 
so so uh, when when we opened the restaurant, the restaurants that were really busy and full were Italian American. So we followed suit. We weren't going to be because even though I knew there was a difference, but that it wasn't the case to to do it yeah. then, and I wasn't capable of doing that then. Right. Uh, and so we hired the Italian American chef. Uh, we. We, I realized that I needed to learn. I went in the kitchen with him, and for, for about 10 years, I was his sous chef. I really worked with him. But what I did, Chris, as I kind of uh, got my, my strength in the kitchen, I began to inserting different dishes, regional, whether it's polenta, whether it's risotto, and all of that. And I think that that brought the attention of, of uh, our customers. They loved it. Uh, it, it uh, for me, really, I felt... Uh, I love doing, I love cooking, learning, serving. Uh, for me, uh, food is a way of, you know, when you, when you offer somebody food, you, you want well for them. So, yeah. Food is positive. Yeah. It's nurturing. And, uh, and I felt the, the return of my customers or whoever, you know, you feed, they're grateful, they feel good. And it's a good, good exchange. A oh, good, absolutely. A absolutely. good feeling. Yeah. And so then... I continued. Uh, and and uh, one of the things that you were doing, which I think is brilliant, by the way, is that you were offering samples of new food to customers, free of charge. Try it. See yeah. how you like it. They would, they would eat in this Italian-American, whatever, spaghetti, meatball, yeah. chicken, parmigiana. And most likely of the day, let's say, that friends that we had were hunters. They got me a deer. So I would make a guazzetto sauce with deer meat, some polenta. Now, you know, no Italian-American menu has that. Yeah. And I would bring a little tasting around. Do you mm -hmm. like it? Do you taste it? And so, you know, you kind of... I, I did it because I just... I know I loved it, and I wanted to share it with them. Right. And it worked, you know. It, and I guess, in a way, I wanted to, to teach. And I guess that's what led me into... Uh, uh, books and television and so on, right. this desire to share also. Well, and also, I, I think, and, and this is something that, uh, also that I have a, such great admiration for, and I think it's probably because I come from immigrant stock as well, and that is that you have a very strong feeling about immigrant food, whatever kind it is, as being important in the culture, uh, in the American way of life. Well, food is part of who we are. It is our individual culture, whatever ethnicity it is. That food identifies you, you know? Yeah. Uh, yes, the, the language, uh, uh, the, where, where, where you were born, um, the physiology, all of that. But food, food really reflects who you are because food is based on the products of the region. The region, uh, the, the growing of food, depending on the topography, depending on the climate. So wherever you are in this world, yeah. there's different vegetation, different fruits, and it really reflects, and of course, the use of spices in, hot, in hotter uh, sections, the use of spices to preserve the meat, and there right. much more than in order. And that all comes out in, in, in cooking. So, <coughs> excuse me. That's right. So I think that food is such a, such a, such a, an exemplary kind of profile of who we are as individuals. And uh, in times when, when maybe, you know, we are immigrants or whatever, food is ever more important because food keeps you connected. You know, it keeps, keeps your identity, like you keep the language, like you keep... Uh, if the, 
And here I was, I was 12 years old, so I, I missed my grandma, and I missed all of that. I loved, uh, you know, where I come from, where I, who I was, but then I loved America. You know, most of my life I spent in America. So, so uh, I, I feel very American. So I felt, you know, I need to unite my, the, my, my, because I felt I had two of the best cultures in the world, and I do. Italian and America. You know, when I was, when I was a boy, and uh, there weren't many Greeks in my hometown, and my family would, we would go off and visit relatives in other towns in West Virginia, where I'm from, and my parents taught me a saying, and I, they would walk me around, I'd be five or six years old, and they'd say, okay, tell them who you are. And my mantra was, I'm 100% American and full-blooded Greek. <laughs> Nice. And they had me repeat that, and it's become so much a part of me my entire life, not, not wanting to, to lose that, that Greek part of me, but at the same time... But it's a richness. You're that much yeah. richer for it. Absolutely, as is the country. Exactly. I don't know how many of you saw my special, the uh, uh, Lydia Celebrates America, mm. on the 30th about immigrants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to talk about that. Yeah. It was amazing how, how uh, each one of them really identifies and food. Now, for me to do those kind of things, you know, uh, I am not a reporter or whatever, but food. I use food. I get into the comfort because food makes everybody feel comfort. If you put food on the table or whatever, you know, as I said before, it's, it's positive. You want somebody yeah. well. And so uh, it, it was interesting. Go ahead. I, I didn't want to. No, that's okay. I, I, I will talk a little bit more about that, but one of the things I want to do is just trace this kind of uh, the beginnings of your um, uh, entrepreneurship in the food world and the culinary world in America and Queens and the restaurant, and then you opened another restaurant, right? Right. So we had this little restaurant. It was busy. We expanded. Also, you know, as an immigrant... Uh, and uh, you, when you're given an opportunity, you see the opportunity, you know, yep. you, and, and you were deprived of a lot of things. You saw how people are deprived. You just go for it. You know, you roll up your sleeve and make it happen. You and introduced one of your chapters in, the, in uh, chapters of the book by saying life is about taking chances. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you know what? And I tell when I speak to, uh, to, to students, culinary students, I said, the one thing is you have to prepare yourself. You have to be ready. You can't just jump in there. Right. You have to gain your, your profession, your strength, your whatever. Then you can grow slowly, you know, mm -hmm. but, but you have to invest in yourself and educate yourself in whatever you want to do. So the, so the two restaurants in, in Queens were successful. What made you want to move on and move away from that success to the possibility? Well, you know. The unknown Manhattan, you know, New York, you know, you right. belong in New York, people would come, you know, all this different food, they kind of, uh, you see another opportunity of growth, but also a business sense, so we had rented those two places, we were both rented, we had a nice lease still left, and the value was good to sell, yeah, right. so we sold, and we leveraged that, and we bought in Manhattan, and that's when we opened Philidia. Now, for Lydia, we opened in 1981, which was 10 years after. And that's where I became the chef, because with, with the 10 years with, with the chef. And also, 
uh, I went back uh, to, because, you know, curious, we went back to Italy to visit family, but also I would go back to Italy and work with chefs. Mm. Go in, in even homes. I was searching homes. I still oh, really? Do that. Yeah, I still do that today. I go different regions of Italy, and uh, I still you know, learning. Always, you never always. stop. You never stop. You yeah. never stop. No, no, no. It's it's well, it's a curiosity maybe in in me. Yeah. But also, I I feel you know if I'm gonna write a book, if I'm gonna have a TV show. I need to know what I'm talking about, mm. and I need something new to convey. I need to bring something to the table because if somebody's going to spend a half an hour, give me half an hour of their time to watch me, right. they can't just walk away. I need to leave them with something. I need to give them something. And as my profession, I, I know what to research and how, and I know how to translate it to transmit it. And so I guess that's what that's the teacher part of me. How long does it take to prepare a cookbook for publication? A cookbook takes me two years. For each book? Yes. So one year... What's the process? Yeah. One year you decide uh, uh, in... Uh, and, you know, as you're finishing one, you're already thinking about what, uh, what, is, what do you want to convey? What is the message? What is the essence of this book? And then once you have it, kind of, you go to all the recipes. Okay, so which recipes? How do you want to format the book? Do you want to format by meals, just or by by products, or uh, and all of that? And then the recipes, the best fit, and you over recipe, and then you eliminate. Then you now you say, Lydia, are, are all these your recipes? No, none of them are really mine. You know, because uh, it's it's I'm not an inventor. I am. A, I feel a conduit of mm -hmm. culture. So I go to Italy. I remember. I, I see these recipes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I modify them along the way because I know I'm bringing them to my American family, and sometimes I know what would work best or what the real ingredients are, right. or what they can substitute. So you know that transition is where where I, I really can can add to the recipe, and then the recipe is I test it back and forth, and it's all together. Then. Of course, comes all the instruction. You have to put all the instruction and also the, the, the preface, a little story. Why this recipe? What's special about this recipe? Yes. And then the whole, uh, the introduction of the whole book, you know, how sort of that. And then the pictures. The pictures, you have to uh, almost retest all of the recipes, redo the recipes, and take real pictures. Right. And then, of course. Do the visuals affect the recipe at all? That is Some, sometimes when I redo for the thing, right. I, I notice some differences. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the first the first year is all getting all this material together, and the second year when you give the material to the publisher is pulling together the book. Ah. So you have to act also as an editor. There's pictures. Right. Uh, make a, a check that you know they they've told the right thing or changed the right way or whatever. So, and then. The, the, the design of the book, too. You yeah. know, I, I get involved in the, the design of the book, too. Yeah. So yeah, what is the front page? What is the last page? What is the message? What was the coloring of the... Mm -hmm. All of that. Until that's two years by the time I'm finished. But every book uh, gives me two years of television shows. I do 26 half-an-hour shows for television. And so... And you uh, follow the, the book? The book, yeah, that well, particular book? Yeah, because it is, it's also convenient for the viewers. Right. You know, they see me make it. 
they they can get the book, uh, and they can ultimately make oh, well. all that better. But but uh, uh, yes, I just finished um, in in was it in uh, May the twenty six episodes that are going to air in in October, and the new book is going to come out in October. So usually PBS does twenty six, and then they repeat it. So it's fifty two weeks. Uh, uh, a year, mm -hmm. and then the other half is for the next year. In the oh. meantime, I'm working on the other book. Right, right. So it's an, it's ardu an arduous process, but yeah. a, an interesting one, obviously. Yes, it is. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. Uh, your children have followed you in the business. Was that the intention when you yeah. first started out? No, no, no. My my son was, I think, four years old when we opened the restaurant, and then at the first year, I got pregnant with my daughter. So you know. Things get always more complicated, but you work at them, <laughs> and and so they they I uh, lived my uh, uh, my mother lived my parents lived with me so that was that made that helped everything I could go back to work the kids were at home but they would come to the restaurant eat dinner do part of their homework and then go home with grandma while we worked the rest of the night and as they grew up uh, and teenagers you know. In restaurants, they like, you know, it's fun. There's people who are smoking at the time, drinking at the bar, <laughs> you know, all the things. So I always used to tell them, this is not what you want to do, this business. We came to America. Grandma really sacrificed to bring us to America. You need to get an American education and an American job. So I didn't know what that was, but we really emphasized. We didn't want them to come into yeah. that industry. And uh, my son... Uh, ultimately, business masters, uh, Wall Street, and then he decided. My daughter, Georgetown Oxford PhD, Renaissance Art History. They're running the business now. <laughs> <laughs> and you got at one point you got some very good advice from a pediatrician about yes. because you were worried about uh, work. I, I I get a lot. I get asked a lot because our industry is is notorious as far as women. Uh, in in the industry, so yeah. I see these young women, and I know that I love my industry. I had a great time. Was it difficult? Yes, at time, but you know, uh, life is you come your hurdles and you have to overcome them. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, when when I had my my daughter, and we were one year and something into the business, and you know we had a big loan, and uh, you know things were and all that, so I stayed home. I think two months. And and then I was itching. I said, I need, you know, the loans, I need to go back to work, yeah. uh, but I don't want to leave my daughter and all that. And uh, at that time, no psychiatrist. We didn't have any psychiatrist. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, so, you know, today you go. It can be done. <laughs> today everything <laughs> right. is a psychiatrist. I'm sorry if there's a psychiatrist there. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I went to the pediatrician, you know. Yeah. And so I said, listen, I'm torn, you know, I, I have this beautiful child. My maternal instincts, I really, and then I know that there's a big loan to be paid. My, you know, I sort yeah. of, my husband and I decided we were going to do this together. I was going to help him. And he was a very wise man. And he told me, Lydia, children love happy parents. And he said, Ch uh, remember, Lydia, children come into a family. A family doesn't, shouldn't change because children right. come to meet them. Children come into a family. Right. Uh, said, you do because you need to be happy. 
and you're going to be happy if you're finishing working, and you can take care of your children. Yeah. Give them all the love that you can, when you can, and get them involved. Keep them with you as much as you could. And so we did. You know, we went uh, uh, at the restaurants, they would come. Uh, if we went uh, to Europe, we would go to visit family, but we would go and research. The kids came, came along, along with us on research. So it was vacation, research, and whatever. And uh, I insisted they go to school and they do their thing. Yeah, yeah. But it got into them. I, 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 I guess I in, infected them with this, <laughs> <laughs> with this disease. <laughs> yes, I, I, I must say, uh, I, I, when I was growing up, I worked in my dad's restaurant from the time I was 10 until I left for college. And the last thing I wanted to do was be in the restaurant business. I saw how hard he worked, how difficult it was. He brought all, the whole family over, the, the unique sort of uh, ubiquitous immigrant story. And, and yet... I, because my mother was great in terms of involving me in the kitchen. She would do things like uh, if, if we were uh, preparing a meal, she would say, okay, now we're not going to talk. We're going to sing all the instructions. I'm going to sing the instructions to you, and you have to sing back to me whatever you're... It was like improvisation. I mean, it's probably why I became an actor. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, so she made it fun. And when my kids were growing up, we involved them in the cooking. My son ended up going to the French Culinary Institute, becoming a, a, a line cook, and ultimately left because he wasn't making enough money and the work was just, you know, what it's like. Um, but uh, my daughters cook. They're wonderful cooks. And we talk about food all the time. It's part of what brings us together. Yeah. Food is a uh, binding. Uh, you know what, what's wonderful now? I've been on public television 25 years. 50 years in the restaurant industry, if you counting the years, mm -hmm. uh, and 25 years on, uh, on uh, public television, and ever more, you know, because, and for me, it was a natural, just like you said. My, my, grand, my mother lived there, the kids were there to bring them in. You know, I did the yeah. television, it was like regular family uh, happening, yeah. so they became part, people followed them, uh, I still get, uh, I still include them now, and they come from college or wherever they are to make their cameo appearance, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> they love it. They love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they love cooking. And, um, but I get these emails because, you know, we did a lot of family, uh, you know, Lydia, the family getting together yeah. at the table and cooking and all of that. And I think that, you know, maybe industrialization or whatever has sort of scattered a little bit the families in America, but it's so important to that, that time together with food. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I wanted to get back a little bit to the, the fact that you were uh, and are a high-powered woman chef. You also are very involved in organizations that encourage women to become chefs. Uh, how, how does that manifest itself in your life? Well, you know, our industry is a unique industry. It's a tough industry, and uh, it's a rewarding industry. It's a industry that you can have a lot of fun and have a lot of work, but also it offers you opportunities to enter different aspects of life and kind of be creative and, and do a lot of good also, uh, whether it be, I mean, you know, uh, what I do now, I do an awful lot of events uh, to, to, to fundraise, to benefit, uh, and I, I'll list some. But as far as women, I noticed that very early of these difficulties with women. And 20-some-odd <clears throat> uh, years ago, 
I was one of the founders of Women Chefs and Restaurateurs, and it's an organization that is still existing, quite a few thousand of members. And they were all women chefs from the West Coast, uh, um, that uh, Barbara Lazaroff, uh, Susan uh, Milliken, and uh, uh, this was because, and it wasn't an association because I felt, you know, this uh, association of sitting down and complaining to each other. Or yeah, that. Yeah. It was more, for me, it was more, you know, when you're really in charge, you own or you really conduct the business. And so it's important. I, I realized that very soon, and I tell that my children and all, I said, you know, I knew I wanted to do a lot of things, good and business and whatever, and I knew I couldn't do it without a platform. Yeah. I needed a platform of success, because mm -hmm. if you have a platform of success, then people kind of say, oh, okay, let me, let me listen. The so platform I, being the restaurant? The restaurant, the success. The, right. all, all of that. Yeah. Uh, and so I felt, you know, women need to feel that they can own a restaurant and be good in business and succeed. And at that time, what I felt, uh, I had my husband, but when we went to open Felidia, we had difficulties because we unexpected expenses. Yeah, right. And we almost couldn't open because of underpinning the building or whatever. And uh, my, my husband wasn't feeling too good. And so I went to the bank or whatever. They wouldn't listen to me unless I brought my husband. Yeah. And I said, okay. Uh, so, so this organization, what I focused, what we focused was on introducing female chefs to financial institutions. Ah. Whether it was American Express, the Chase Manhattan, and whatever. So that, that goal, and I think they still keep on going on that goal. Uh, and it's, it's important, mm. you know. Uh, uh, absolutely. Then, you know, uh, I did... Uh, uh, at the United Nations, Unifem United Nations female organization, uh, who I did uh, years of fundraising for them, and that's for actually women uh, in third world countries. And it was a great, now uh, it's under the auspices of a, a, a mega organization at the UN, but at that time, Unifem, what they had, they had microloans for women in third world country, let's say that you're a seamstress. And a lot of these women in third world countries uh, are single parent, you know, right. with, with children. And um, uh, sew by hand, one dress a week, maybe if you make it. Right. And, you know, and these microloans would let them buy a little sewing machine or something. There's a wonderful organization Three, called Finca that does that as well. I think yeah. one is offshoot of right. the other. Yeah. And so, you know, that gave me great satisfaction that, you, that I was, you know, in some way. On a micro level. On a micro level yeah. that you get this woman. So what, what I feel that uh, I can, how I can contribute, is maybe not directly go to these places, but organize or be part of an getting people that care together that will ultimately support and donate a cause. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, that, I, that I can do, uh, uh, and I do it continuously. Good for you. Now, <laughs> I, have, I have one final question that I always ask my guests. If there's one moment in your young life that brings you back to that time, that has to do with food, if it's a smell, if it's a moment, if it's a person, what would that moment be, that one that just suddenly you go, ah, oh, 
I'm back at Bousselaire. I'm back at Trieste. I'm back at, the, at San Saba. You know, um, your senses, uh, and one of the strongest senses in recall is your olfactory, yeah. your smell. And, and that is, it has a physiological reason, because as animals prehistoric, and then we evolved into, uh, we were uh, foragers. Yeah. And the sense of smell was really necessary to find the right berries, the right thing, whatever. So a big part of our brain was dedicated to the olfactory. And in the time of evolution, not much time has passed. Right. So we still have... It's, it's, it's a second in, in human exactly. history. Yeah. Still, the olfactory is a great receptor for us. And it stores a lot of things. It's like library. So inevitably, when I smell, and I remember... I love apricots, but I remember my grandmother had two apricot trees, and they didn't uh, uh, produce fruit every year, every second year. And uh, I would go and look, and so these little apricots, the color of uh, this bright orange, and when they had speckles, mm. they had little speckles, I knew they were perfect. So when I bite into an apricot, and it comes close to that, it takes me it takes straight, you right back. straight back. Oh, oh well. Lydia? Are we finished? Yeah. We're thank finished. you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> My I, pleasure. For, for taking us on this wonderful culinary journey of your life uh, and the history of your family. It's been a, a delight. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Put the light on so I can see them. House lights. House lights. House lights up. Can you bring the house lights up? I want to see them. Lily, Lily wants oh, to see you. Okay. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.